This morning's theme is Our Father, which art in heaven. We're going to touch upon who God is, revisit our own perspective of God in heaven, God in his glory, his holiness. In doing this, we will ground ourselves on the Reformation's teaching on God and be better able to counter erroneous teaching of who God is. If we do not have a right understanding of God, our faith becomes skewed. We consider God from a human creaturely perspective rather than from contemplating God from the truth revealed to us in scripture too many in evangelical circles today seem to have an over familiarity of who God is But we should not. We have no excuse. Everyone here attends a church that upholds the truth. A church that sees truth as its pillar and bastion. This morning, I'd like to encourage us not only to uphold the truth as a congregation, but to uphold the truth in our local communities, to seek to do outreach, to seek to do outreach together. Why? Because your community cries out for the truth, even even though they say or they say they don't or seemingly don't care. They do. Deep down within them, They long for the truth. Everyone does. Why? Because if we do not have the truth, we're adrift. Life is meaningless. Only meaning can be found in God. And above all, only salvation can be found in God's Son, Jesus Christ. In our readings, and touching on others too, we will consider the degree to which God has accommodated knowledge of himself to us. Accommodation, God revealing in scripture who he, who he is to the level that we can take as his creatures. In Isaiah 55, 8-9, how God is beyond us. In John 17, 24, the glory that we do behold. In 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve, the glory that we will behold. Let us turn to Isaiah 55. And in particular, we'll be looking at verses 7, 8, and 9.
From one perspective, it is straightforward enough to understand that God is beyond us. As human sinful ways and thoughts are not God's ways and thoughts. And it is the reason why people should seek the Lord their God and turn from their wickedness. However, it needs to be emphasised. It needs to be emphasised to us every week. It needs to be emphasised to us every devotion we have every day. We're coming into the presence of God and sing clings to us and only God in Jesus Christ can deal with that with the greatest gift that he has given to us in our toolbox of faith, the gift of repentance and godly sorrow. It is there we become freely forgiven once again. It is there that we are keeping short account of our sin before God, but also towards one another. For those that are married... Every day, we need to keep right with our spouses. For children, for pet, we need you. Children need to keep right with their mums and dads. One of the things that we learn growing up is how to say sorry. And when we come to faith, we understand that we're saying sorry to God. Here in our scriptural readings, in Isaiah 55, 7 and 9, there's something called a chiasm, which gives greater emphasis to a point being made. If you look in verse 7, if we read it, verse 7, Let the wicked forsake his way, it's the way of the wicked, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, it's the thoughts of an unrighteous man. If you look to verse 8, there we go to, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are, my, neither are your ways. My ways, saith the Lord. And then in verse 9, that is re-emphasized. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts, your thoughts. Isaiah is emphasizing that God is hallowed and we are not. Our ways and thoughts have been perverted by the ongoing effects of original sin in our lives, the sin that clings to us. But thanks be to God, it cannot claim us. The emphasis is to drive the point home that we need to turn from sin in our lives and seek God and his mercy manifest during these days of grace. And brothers and sisters, these days of grace have an end. Christ will return. The days of salvation have an end and that brings home it should bring home the seriousness of what is set before us 
the spiritual realm will rapture the temporal. Everything that is familiar before us will be done away and we will behold God face to face. Praise God that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life because we've allowed him to deal with us here on earth. We've entered into a realisation of what the days of grace mean. I must get right with God today. But for those who hang off and persistently harden their hearts towards God to the extent that their sin snowballs into something that cannot be forgiven. Why? Because when sin snowballs and becomes a habit, it sears the conscience and it hardens the heart to the point where there is no desire for God, to the point where repentance seems to be a ridiculous thing. It's not for me. There, there is no grace of God to be found. But praise God, our spiritual eyes have been opened. We do understand. We do understand that God is to be hallowed and is to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Being reconciled to God through the salvation of, for God's people, wrought through Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer, is the only way we can have peace with God. Romans 6.23 is one that is very useful to com commit to memory. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Faith in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Combined with godly sorrow leading to repentance. Appeases the wrath of God towards us. And our sin is freely forgiven. Let's go home today knowing that our sin is freely forgiven. Because we've committed it to God. As far as the east is from the west, so, is our, so far is our sin forgiven. We cannot find it anymore. It is blotted out. We have the righteousness of another, as we were looking at last week, imputed to us. The righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when God sees us, he sees Jesus in us his righteousness we have no righteousness of our own we are justified by faith alone we now move on to our second point and it is looking upon these scriptures in Isaiah 55 from another perspective what is alluded to being beyond our contemplation and our comprehension. God has accommodated a level of understanding of who he is through scripture, but it barely scratches the surface. 
If God revealed anything more to, uh, uh, of himself to us, as mentioned already, it would drive us to madness. He only gives of himself to us to the capacity that we were created to take. And that in itself leads us to adoration, awe and wonder of who God is. So how much can we know of God's thoughts and ways? We'll now spend a bit of time thinking through this and the terminology used to describe God by the Reformed theologians, very briefly. So, for instance, acity, God exists of and from himself. Immutability, God does not change. Simplicity, God is not made up of component parts. Impassibility, God does not experience emotions from the actions of another. The consequence of divine acity, that God exists of and from himself, is that God is absolutely independent of any other being. There is no causal dependency, no cause and effect influencing God. God is immutable. He does not change. And he is impassable. He does not suffer. God's essence is simple. God simply is. He's not made up of parts. So nothing can be added to him or subtracted from him. God's being, essence, attributes and actions are in complete oneness. For God is one. Deuteronomy 6.4, the Jewish Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he is to be loved and obeyed at all times. Maltman wrote, God's being is from above. Our knowledge is from below. What this points to is that humanity cannot define God correctly. But we still are required and long to do so. We are still required to love and obey him at all times. Dozo wrote that if all that is in God is God... All God's attributes are identical to his essence. God's attributes, such as God is good, God is love, are not anything other than what God is and always has been since all eternity, which has no beginning or end. Jonathan Edwards stated that God has settled affections, meaning that God does not change. He does not suffer 
emotional mood swings. We do, but we're created. God is the creator. He does not. Yet, in 1 John 4.10, here is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here the confusion arises. Here we tend to define God's love, which is perfect and beyond us, from our experience and understanding of love. Man tends to say, love is God. But the reality is, God is love. And in 1 John 4.10, God's definition of love encompasses suffering. But we have already stated that God does not suffer. But we know that Christ suffered. And Christ is God. Colossians 3.10, he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Cyril of Alexandria adeptly solved the conundrum. God suffered impassably. There we are. <laughs> God suffered impassably. How could this be? God suffered without suffering? Because Christ suffered in his human nature and not in his divine Christ is, as Calvin stated, autotheos, of the one essence of himself. God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, with two natures, fully God and fully man. Christ suffered in his human nature, not in his divine nature. As Christians, we have to ponder on these things. We have to ponder on the things of God. Because if we don't, we lose our theology and fall into all kinds of error that defines God from human experience and creaturely thoughts rather than from the revealed word of God. I spend quite a lot of time uh, outreaching to Pentecostals and Evangelicals. They have a yearning for God, but their theology is a millimetre thick. But the lovely thing is, they want to hear it. I mentioned earlier, how about outreach? You have the truth. You have heard it for years. How about building bridges? of respect and of fellowship with the church locally in the Pentecostal scene. We do not need to compromise our form of worship. We're not asking them to come here on a Sunday and we're not asking to go to them on a Sunday. But you could have a meeting over coffee on a Saturday morning and you could discuss the deep things of God together and I think that you would be very surprised that they long to listen 
to the deep things of God. You hold the mysteries of heaven in your heart. And we are called to disciple, to nurture people in their faith. We have the voice of another, the word of God, the full canon of scripture. And we have spent time seeking the truths therein. Let's share them. The point to consider is that words do not mean the same when they refer to us and to God. And I think that's what we will find when we meet with others. They maybe have an over-familiarity with God, but what I'm trying to convey this morning is that, yes, God is beside us, but he also transcends us. We cannot have an over-familiarity with God. Why? Because we must worship and adore him. We are creatures. He is the creator. He is in all glory, and we behold his glory as in a mirror just now. Yet we know that we must worship him in awe, in reverence, in full respect, in full love, in full yearning. So when we do this, we recognise that words in Scripture do not mean the same to God as they mean to us. And let me explain this now. When we state that God is love, we are saying that there are important similarities between his love and ours. But his love transcends ours. Therefore, God speaks to us, reveals himself to us through scripture, the fulfillment of scripture, by becoming one of us. He is alongside us. He abides with us, but transcends us. As such, our knowledge of God, through the infallible written word of God, is fully truth. But as Francis Schaeffer put it, not exhaustive truth. We do not have exhaustive truth. Why? Because we do not have the capacity for it. Yes, we are made in the image of God and the church is the pillar and bastion of the truth. But we are created and only the creator knows the exhaustive truth. We have a measure of it conveyed in human language using human terms. Anthropomorphisms such as For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end. Theocracy, order, stability, government. Majesty, glory, omnipotence. We long for these attributes to be over us, nurturing us, because we can relate to him as his people, and they are for our good.
Let me draw to a close by just continuing for a brief moment. God, Tony Lane writes, God's attitude towards us may change from compassion. I think this is an important point. Because God does grieve. God is angry. God is full of pity. But these changes are because we have changed, not because God is changeable. God's attitude towards us are different outworkings in a different situations of his consistent and unchanging love. Jonathan Edwards again, God has settled affections, not changing passions. Let's meditate upon God and all his goodness that God transcends us and yet is alongside us. Let us desire the truth of Scripture that we behold Jesus in his glory now as in John 17 and in, jo and in 1 Corinthians 13, 12 we will behold him face to face by the Holy Spirit be taken to the place of beholding his glory now as you read scripture in your own quiet times and in Bible studies be fed by him be nurtured by him but in the full knowledge that he fully transcends us. The truth that he gives us is not exhaustive truth. Only he holds exhaustive truth. But it is truth sufficient for us to grow into being his people, made in his image, transformed daily more into his likeness in the knowledge that this side of heaven we will always fall short of what he expects of us. But there is a day coming when we will be like him because we will see him face to face. Let us stand to pray. Father God, we come before your throne of grace in the full knowledge that you are God. You simply are. That you are full of goodness, that you are full of love, that your goodness and love far exceed our earthly understanding of goodness and love. And that is why, Lord, we adore you, we worship you, we yearn for you, we yearn for the living water to satisfy our thirst. We yearn for the bread of life to feed our souls. You are our source of life. And we come before you, beholding you by the Spirit of Christ, seeing you where you are, Lord Jesus Christ, in the midst of the throne of God, as King of kings and Lord of lords, as the Son of Man of Daniel 7, preparing to come again to judge the living and the dead and to take your people 
to be with you for all eternity. We behold you now, Lord, in spirit and in truth. We worship you now, Lord, in full adoration and praise. Be with us, Lord, this week ahead, during this week ahead, this working week. Let us feel your presence alongside us and let our minds transcend to heaven and look heavenwards. We lack nothing. We praise you and glorify you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. We now come to singing our last psalm. And our last psalm is... Psalm 29, verses 1 to 4. That is Psalm 29, verses 1 to 4. Give ye unto the Lord, ye sons, that of the mighty be, all strength and glory to the Lord, with cheerfulness give ye. Unto the Lord the glory give, that to his name is due, and in the beauty of holiness unto Jehovah bow. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.